it's so easy to get caught up in things that we forget all the good that's around us and we forget there's so much to be thankful for. And when most people share what they're thankful for, it usually has to do with tangible things. Family, possessions, health, etc. There's nothing wrong with that. But the one issue is that all those things can be taken away and can be lost in a moment's notice. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anyone, or, but they can be. And when your thankfulness is tied to tangible things like that, it's easy to lose that thankful heart, that thankful perspective. I remember sitting uh, sitting down with family at one Thanksgiving. Uh, this was, I don't remember how, years, how many years ago now, but we go through, as, as a lot of people do on, on Thanksgiving, you, you say something you're thankful for around the dinner table, and you got to... Got to one of the ladies, and she said, "Well, not much to be thankful for this year." And then started talking about all the things that, all the struggles they had, and they're all tied to family, possessions, stuff. The Christian lady loves the Lord, all these things, but somewhere along the line, at least at that moment, in that time, had lost a thankful heart, a thankful perspective. And when your thankfulness is instead tied to God who is eternally good, you can give thanks in all things and at all times. And that's really what we're going to focus on this morning. How do we develop that thankful heart? Because I'm thankful for many of the same things as you are. I'm very thankful for my wife and my girls. I'm so thankful for you guys, for this church family. But one thing I'm learning is to be thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus every single day of my life. Every single day. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start there. Uh, you probably already noticed we're taking a break from Acts. Uh, this message is going to kind of stand alone as a Thanksgiving message. And then starting next week, we'll get into uh, focus on Christmas. But Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to start. And I referenced it in during worship about Jesus being the high priest. Hebrews deals a lot with Jesus' position over our lives now. Because of his sacrifice. And in chapter 10, it really kind of brings it all home. The the heading in my Bible says, Christ's sacrifice once and for all. Once for all. Let's start in verse 1. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in your scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
We'll stop there for the moment. Father, we thank you once again for your word. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I pray this morning, Lord, you would once again bring your word to life. You would speak to our hearts. Lord, show us that no matter what may be going on around us, no, no matter what we may be experiencing in the world, Lord, because of what you've done, there's always there's always something to be thankful for. Lord, may, I, I pray that after today, if it's not already, that your sacrifice, that what you've done for us would be the root of our thankful hearts. That everything else, Lord, we can be thankful for, but it has to come from the root of being thankful for your sacrifice and what it means for our lives. Lord, I thank you once again for the privilege of being your spokesperson. Speak through me. I I plead for your anointing, God. I, I need it. I cannot speak on my own. May my words not be my own, but be yours, Lord. And may they hit their mark today. In Jesus' name, amen. So once and for all, Hebrews 10 speaks of this. The writer starts out by saying the law or works or religious duties, they're only a shadow. Okay? Paul tells us that the law in itself is holy, but it cannot produce holiness. So works, doing good, being a good person, for one, you really can't be good enough, but all those things are only a shadow of what's to come. They're not the full realities. They can never, by being repeated year after year, make anyone perfect. The Bible says that if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Every one of us has already broken at least one part of the law. So nothing you do can make up for it. Nothing you do on your own can make up for it. That word perfect, it basically means pleasing, acceptable, favorable. So when it says it can never make anyone perfect, it means they can never make anyone pleasing, acceptable, or favorable to God. Okay, nothing you do makes God favor you more or less. If it could, if that was a reality that that you actually could achieve that, there would be a clear target point in which this could be finally achieved. But the problem is when you depend on works, when you depend on religious duties, it's never enough. It's good for that time. Maybe you did good that week, but now there's more pressure to keep it up. And that just tires you out. You get fatigued quickly and easily. And when you crash, you crash hard when that's what you depend on. The truth of the matter is law, works, or religious duties, they're simply a reminder of our sin. The writer says it here. It says, Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. See, we like to think of it and say, well, they came and they sacrificed and then they, it's like, oh, I'm forgiven now for a year. Their sacrifices weren't really meant to forgive them. It was to remind them that I'm not good enough. Can you imagine? Now, the high priest went in once a year to atone for everyone, including himself. But beyond that, there were regular sacrifices that people had to do. So can you imagine if you had to come to the church every day and Remind yourself how bad you are. Remind yourself that you're not good enough. Remind yourself that I can't do it. You're you're not going to be lifted up a whole lot. You're not going to be real encouraged. Okay, because that's what works do. At, At some point you realize, wow, man, I can't keep this up. I'm not good enough. I don't have the, I don't have the strength to do this every single day of my life. 
we realize that something's missing. You know, the writer says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, or to apply it to today, it's impossible for adherence to rules or works or religious duties to take away sins and to make someone holy. Impossible. So verse 5 says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, therefore means for this reason, because adherence to the law could not take away sins, Christ came into the world. Whatever you see a therefore, uh, you know, I had a professor that always said, when you see a therefore, you need to find out why it's therefore. Okay? You need to go back and see what's before it. So what we have before it is the law cannot make you perfect. Works only remind you of your sin, remind you that you're not good enough. Because of that, because you can't do it on your own, Jesus came into the world. He said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. You were not pleased, and I said, here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. It says, Jesus set aside the first to establish the second, and that means he set aside the unpleasing sacrifices. He set aside the offerings that God said, I'm not pleased with those. At, some, at, at one point in Israel's history, God at God told them, you might as well stop. I don't desire those things. You, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. These have, the, the purpose had, had been lost along the way. And he said, your, your sacrifices do nothing for me. So Jesus set aside all the unpleasing sacrifices. And he became the sacrifice, the offering, that was holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. Because he was perfect. He was without blemish. He was favorable to God. And by that will, verse 10 says, by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's look at that phrase, we have been made holy. Okay, that speaks of a past action, but a current standing. When Jesus died on the cross, sin was paid for. When he rose from the dead, death was defeated and sin no longer had any power over you and I. At that very point, man was made holy through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, you are currently in the eyes of God, when he sees you through the, through the person of Jesus Christ, you are holy. You are righteous. So you have been made, it's a past action, but it's a current standing. You can't do anything to change it. You can't go back where God says, oh, Jesus' sacrifice isn't good enough for you. You can't earn or you can't cause God to take it away. You can reject it, but nothing you do can cause God to take it away. You got that? It's an eternal covenant, not a conditional contract. The only condition is to receive. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I think I've got it on the screen there. John writes, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
What's John saying? You're a child of God, not because of anything you did, not because of anything anyone else did, but because he decided he wanted to make you his child. And we talked about this some, last Sunday night. I think Nyla brought it up. That when you're adopted, okay, in that culture, when you're adopted, you gained all the rights as the firstborn. You didn't just come in, but you had all the rights of a firstborn. And in that culture, and, and even in, in many cultures, the firstborn, they had the birthright. They, they got the biggest share of the inheritance. They were, you know, they were the next in line. So when God adopts you as his child, you're not just, you know, well, let me take you in. You know, you're over here with all these weirdos. You, you're all, you all have been taken in as his firstborn. Heir to everything. That's why the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is his only son. Only begotten son. Yet, when we're adopted in, it's as if you're his only son or you're his only daughter. And you have all those rights. It's not something to be excited about. That you are, you can look at yourself as the firstborn of God. That's why when John writes later in one of his letters, he said, how great is the Father's love that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Who are we that we should be called his child? Jesus is his son. And he says, no, you are my sons and daughters too. What an awesome, what an awesome thing. It's only God through Jesus who makes this happen. You do not earn it. You have been adopted in just as God's firstborn. Verses 11 to 14 tell us of Jesus' position as the priest. Let's pick it up there. Verse 11, it says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There's a lot of stuff in those four verses right there. Okay, multiple times this passage is saying one sacrifice for all. One sacrifice. Jesus made one sacrifice and that was enough and it lasts for all time and it's for all people. I like what verse 12 says. It says, when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, now sometimes it's kind of a, it happens a lot with like, I'm not really into rap, but I had a youth, when I was a youth pastor, one of my, one of my guys he was a Christian rapper, and he's actually touring. He's been signed to a small label. But sometimes they do do a thing called uh, freestyle. You get up, they play some music, and they just make stuff up, you know. And he was real good at this. I, I battled him once, battled him, because I lost a bet. So I'm up there, you know, trying to do this. But one of the things that they do in rap battles, so, you know, a guy will do his thing, and if he thinks he's done real good, he just drops the mic and walks off. He's like, yeah, you're not going to beat that. That's essentially what Jesus did. He, he was a sacrifice for sin. He sat down at the right hand of God and said, it's done. He won the battle. He dropped the mic and said, it's finished. Okay? That, that'll really preach in youth group, but I, I think you get the point here too. He did. He dropped that mic and he sat down and he said, it is finished. 
I can't do that. I need I need a beat. I need some music. I don't have the music. <clears throat> some good music. It's recorded somewhere, but uh <laughs> But Jesus is the better priest. The priest of that day, the Bible says, it didn't matter what they did, it could never take away sin. It could kind of atone for it for a while. But there was, it was an annual thing for the high priest to go in. And before he went in, he even had to make sure that his heart was, he had his own sacrifices in before he could do it on behalf of the people. But Jesus gave one sacrifice, and that's all that was required, because it was perfect. Every one of us are priests. You know, Peter says that we are a priestly nation. Okay? We are the priesthood of believers. Your daily priestly duties can never take away sin. Can't do it. But Jesus' sacrifice, which was once and is good for all time, is an offering that was pleasing to God for every sin ever committed. Past, present, future. He was sacrificed once and he took his place at the right hand of the Father. John's account of the crucifixion, Jesus says, it is finished. And that's what he meant, it is finished. And it says there in verse 13, it says, Now, since that time, he simply waits for his enemies to be made a footstool at his feet. Because it's already been determined. Now it's just a matter of time. He's just waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. When God sends him back the second time, to redeem his people, to begin the end. What does Paul tell us in Philippians? That Jesus has been exalted, and, and, and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, even the enemy. He'll have to. He'll be compelled to, because it's the truth. And then verse 14 says, By his one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Again, we have this uh, this sense of a past action, but in a current standing. He says, you have already been made perfect forever through his sacrifice, but you are being made holy. Okay, I got married, but I my marriage is continues to be a process as we grow. So this is, I like to think of this like, God gave you the prize, and now you just, you have all this time to enjoy it. God gave you the good thing. You unwrapped it. Oh, this is great. And he says, you got all this time to enjoy it, to figure out all the goodness of this prize, of this eternal life. And someday I'm going to come back and that gift is going to be fulfilled. And you're not going to have to learn about it anymore because you're going to be living it every single day for eternity. You have been made perfect, yet you are still being made holy. It's a, the present perfect, which means it's done, but it's still an ongoing process. He has given you the prize. Now you're learning how to use it. Sometimes we, we mess it up. Sometimes we don't use it the way God intends. But he says, it's yours. I paid for it. I paid for it forever. Verses 15 to 18 tell us the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, 
Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Which means there's no longer any sacrifice needed for sin. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit through the prophet Jeremiah, because this is quoting this, says, no longer is the law something that you learn and obey. Through Jesus, it's been written on our hearts and minds. He's the key. He's the one that decodes all of that. That when you come to Jesus, when you give your heart to him, he makes those things clear and you begin to see. Someone shared it during testimony time. I think Margaret did. You said, you know, it's through our relationship with Jesus that we learn how to love others and how to, you know, how to, how to be a godly wife, how to be a godly husband, how to, how to share our faith, how to show Jesus to other people. It's through Him. He writes that on our hearts and minds and He's the key to unlocking those truths. This relationship with Him is the key, not obedience. But the caveat is, as you draw closer to Jesus, you're gonna walk in obedience. But being obedient is not gonna make you closer to Jesus. Does that make sense? You can be obedient to a lot of things simply because I'm supposed to. Kids are obedient to things simply because they don't want to get in trouble. It's not because I really respect my my dad's rule. Dad, I respect you. I love you. This is a great rule. I'm going to obey it. It's more like, I don't want to get in trouble. I want to go out with my friends this weekend, so I'm going to obey this. Okay? There's a difference between obedience to get something and obedience through relationship with Jesus. It says, sin and disobedience to the law will be remembered no more. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Which means never again. It seems too good to be true, but it is true because God is eternally good. Now too often we look at something like that and say, well, but then God is treating sin lightly. No! He did, God never looked away from sin. God never looked away and said, oh, okay, I'll just pretend that didn't happen. He dealt with sin in the most brutal way possible. By sending his own son, who was perfect, who had no reason to come and die, because he did nothing to deserve it, he sent him to take the punishment for you. I think that's a pretty brutal way of dealing with it. He didn't just take care of sin, he sent his own son. He had to forsake his own son on the cross as he became the embodiment of every sin of mankind. Don't ever think that God just looks away or that when we talk about grace that we're condoning looking away from sin. God never looked away from it. He dealt with it and he defeated it and he freed you from it. Can we be excited about that and, and stop trying to, to get people to get away from their sin? You don't look at their sin because God doesn't look at their sin anymore. He took care of it. When he looks at them, he sees that person is loved by Jesus. He sees that person doesn't know me yet. He doesn't see adulterer, murderer, rape. He doesn't see those things. He sees covered by Jesus and not covered by Jesus. And those who haven't received Jesus yet, he's going to do everything he can. He'll send you, he'll send me to show them Jesus. That's one of the major things that changed after Jesus died. Because before God did look down and he saw a bunch of lawbreakers. He saw a bunch of sinners. Now he sees those who are covered by Jesus and those who aren't. 
And we've got to see it the same way. Where these things have been forgiven, verse 18 says, there is no longer any sacrifice needed. There is nothing you can do today or any day that, that will make you more forgiven than you already are. Or more loved than you already are. Or more accepted than you already are. We, why don't we believe that? And I, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I'm talking to myself here too. Because we go through those moments where we don't believe this. We believe that I'm not, today I'm not as forgiven as I was yesterday because I did this or I did that or I said this or I said that. You cannot ever be more forgiven than you are now. And that happened the day that Jesus died. There's never been a time where you've been less forgiven or more forgiven or less loved or more loved or less accepted or more accepted. You just are. A couple couple weeks ago I made that statement. I am what I am because of the I am. Not I am what I am because of what I do. I am what I am because of the I am. So just as the Old Testament sacrifices were a daily and a yearly reminder of their sin, the opposite is also true. When you daily dwell upon the sacrifice of Jesus, it's a reminder of your forgiveness. It's a reminder of your salvation. It's a reminder of your holy standing before God. That's why when we talk about being, you know, getting into prayer every day, getting into the Word every day, it's not about adhering to a, a list of rules, but it's about when you are daily with Jesus, then your mind is daily upon His sacrifice. It's daily upon your forgiveness and your standing as a holy, righteous person of God. Because when they had to the sacrifice, they were daily reminded of their sin. When you put your trust in your works, you're daily reminded that unless you do this, you're not good enough. God says, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to continually tell yourself you're not good enough. I already took care of that. So when he, at the Last Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Dwell upon my sacrifice so that you also know that you're forgiven. You've been made holy. You've been made righteous. You've been set right and reconciled to God. Why, why do we not get excited about that? Because we don't tell ourselves, we don't remember it as much as we should. So not only has God given us the gift of eternal life, He has also given us His very presence today to overcome the fallen world that we live in and the sinful nature that we live with. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is written by Peter. Peter knows something about feeling away from God and now being able to participate in the divine nature. Okay, Peter denied Jesus. He Even when Jesus tried to restore him, Peter was just kind of like, yeah, I know I messed up. You know, he just, he kind of wanted to just avoid the situation, right? He wanted to avoid even talking about it. But Jesus restored him. Because it's, the power comes from God the power comes through our relationship with Jesus, not of anything we've done, and it's in the form of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with us. 
It's his divine power that's given us everything. It's through our knowledge of him, our intimate relationship with Jesus, who, hear this again, who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's not by your glory or your goodness, by his own glory and goodness. And because of that, we get to participate in. That word participate in the Greek means be partners, to become partners. You've become a partner with Jesus. You've become a partner with the divine nature of God, the divine work of God in this world. And one day, we'll all be together, partners in eternity. What an amazing gift that is to us. He empowers us to escape this sinful nature and this sinful world. So how does he do that? How are we empowered? We know it's through the Holy Spirit, but let's look at, look at it practically. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to turn there. This is where we find Paul speaking about the armor of God. We're going to talk about the true armor of God. Okay, probably every one of you have heard this. We're going to read it. Verses 10 through 18. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, why is it therefore? He just talked about it's a spiritual battle, not a fleshly battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So here we have the writing of the account of the armor of God. Now before Paul begins to talk about it, he says, Therefore, okay, so that beginning part, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not a fleshly battle it's not a worldly battle it's a spiritual battle therefore then he speaks of the armor now what usually happens not always but what usually happens is this passage is preached in two different ways either as a six-week sermon hitting on every aspect of the armor of god or as a six-point sermon hitting on every aspect of the armor of god but it focuses on the tools of the armor instead of the armor maker and there's a big difference. Here's how it's often taught. And I know this because I've taught it this way. In youth group, I would bring the students up. I had some ridiculous outfit that would, I'd have a, a football helmet for them and, and some shoulder pads and some different things that made them look stupid. And it was supposed to illustrate the armor of God. You know, you got your helmet, you got your sword, you got your breastplate, you got your belt. And here's how it's often taught. When it comes to the belt, the belt of truth, Talk about honesty, integrity. You lie, you die. I often taught it. I often taught it as you ever heard the expression "caught with your pants down," which basically means, okay, you got caught telling a lie. The belt holds them up. So the belt of truth. When you tell the truth, when you're honest, when you're a person of integrity, you don't get caught that way because you are honest. Okay, that's how it's often taught. The breastplate of righteousness. 
The breastplate protects your chest, protects your heart. Don't let anything ungodly in. Be a righteous person. That's how it's taught. That's how I used to teach it. The third tool, feet fitted with the, the gospel, that, with the readiness comes from the gospel of peace. It's usually taught, stay on the right path, be obedient, follow in the ways of God. The shield of faith, the stronger your faith is, the stronger that shield is going to be able to, to take on the arrows of the evil one. You gotta have a strong faith, you gotta believe strongly. The helmet of salvation, what's the helmet do? Protects your head. It's often taught, protect your mind, control your thoughts, don't allow ungodly thoughts to get in. The sword of the spirit, read your Bible daily, memorize scripture, especially in areas you struggle. Okay, that's often how it's taught. And now there's a lot of, there's some good things in there. But do you notice that it's mostly about what you can do? You memorize scripture. You have a strong faith. You control your thoughts. You tell the truth. Is it wrong to tell people to tell the truth? Absolutely not. But remember, this is a spiritual battle. If you come to Satan with your own tools, in your own power, good luck. Okay? It's not going to work. We often focus on the tools, the belt, the breastplate, the sandals, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, when our focus should be on the tool maker. Because it doesn't just talk about the belt. It says the belt of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're coming against the enemy, you, you don't need to be a truthful person. You need Jesus who is truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Don't focus on the breastplate. Focus on the righteousness. Romans 3, verse 10, and then verses 21 and 22. Paul writes, There is no one righteous, not even one. So if you try to approach the enemy with your righteousness, good luck. There is no one righteous, not even one. Verse 21 and 22. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. It's not about the breastplate, but it's about the righteousness of Jesus. That you're approaching him, you're approaching the enemy, you're approaching the spiritual battles in the righteousness of Jesus, in the truth of Jesus. The gospel of peace. It's about supernatural peace in the midst of a fallen world. John 14, 27, Jesus says, My peace I live, I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Missy taught about this when she spoke. She spoke on peace. It's not about obedience, walk in the ways of God, but it's about peace to go where Jesus leads because he is with you. That no matter what you'll face, you have a peace. No matter where he takes your feet, you have that peace because he is the truth, because he is righteous you can have peace that you're going to be protected. Are you with me? The next is faith. We focus on the shield. Yeah, you know, I got a nice shield that's going to extinguish all these arrows. It's a shield of faith. Hebrews 12:2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. It's not about your faith. Your faith and my faith, they're imperfect. We we're not always faithful like we should be. But Jesus, his faith is perfect. He went to the cross. Even when he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. 
He was obedient even unto death on the cross. He was completely faithful to his mission. He completely depended upon the Spirit of God. He depended upon the Father to speak to him, to direct him. Because of that, our faith is not about how much we believe, but it's about clinging our imperfect faith to his perfect faith. To say, Jesus, I can't do this. I don't have enough faith. Help my unbelief. And he will. It's our tiny imperfect faith clinging to his perfect obedient faith. Salvation, it's not about the helmet which protects your mind. Acts 4.12, we just read this just a few weeks ago. Peter says to, to the Sadducees, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's not about, the helmet of salvation is not about controlling your thoughts, but allowing the truth of your salvation to keep you from being deceived by the enemy's lies about who you are in Christ. You're protecting your mind, not by controlling your thoughts, but by fixing them on Jesus. Saying, Jesus, I am holy. I am righteous. I I can have peace, Lord, because you have made the way. So that salvation, it protects your mind from the deception of the enemy. And he will, that's the place where he goes the most, is the mind. Because if he can if he can get you thinking on things that aren't of God, we all know how powerful our mindsets can be. We can convince ourselves of a lot of things that aren't true. And lastly, he talks of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not about a sword, but it's about the Word of God. John 1 Verse 1 and verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active. It's not about reading and memorizing Scripture, but it's about allowing the living Word of God, Jesus, to, to come alive in and through you. Now that will include reading the scripture, but it's not about reading the scripture to make it come alive. It's understanding already this scripture is alive. Lord, because it's of you, Jesus, you are the living word. You are the word become flesh, and now I've got you right here. Speak to me. You still with me? If the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's in the spiritual realm, why would we ever rely on worldly tools, on man-centered ideas, or on our own works to battle spiritually. It is a losing battle before you ever take a step towards it. It only sets you up for discouragement and defeat. This passage is not so much about the armor as it is about the armor maker. It's not about the belt, but it's about he who is the truth. It's not about the breastplate, but it's about the righteousness of Jesus. It's about the peace that God gives us in the midst of this fallen world. It's about the the salvation that he has bought for us. It's about the faith that he has that we can cling our imperfect faith to. And ultimately, it's about he who is the living word. It's not about putting on a belt, a breastplate, shoes of obedience, shield, helmet, or sword. It's about clothing yourselves in Christ. Clothing yourselves in Jesus. Take the story of David and Goliath. When David, you can find it in 1 Samuel 17, when David was given approval to fight Goliath, when he finally convinced Saul that, okay, I'll send you, what's the first thing Saul tries to do? 
He gives him a bunch of armor. He says, here, put this on. David puts it all on. He's kind of walking in it. And he says, Man, this isn't me. I don't feel comfortable in it. So he takes it out. He grabs five smooth stones, and he's got a sling in his back pocket. I don't know if he had pockets, but he had a sling somewhere and five stones. Comes out, comes out to, to Goliath, this huge guy. What's Goliath do? He's laughing at the guy. Hey, am I a dog? You come at me with sticks? You know, of all your, of all your army, this is the guy you send? You know, he's already laughing it up and, oh, this is gonna be easy. Man, you just sent me the Detroit Lions. I mean, this guy? This guy you sent to me? Boom! That's where you, that's where, that's where you drop the microphone and walk off. That's where you drop the microphone and just walk off the stage. That was a good one. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't even prepare that. That was good. That was the Holy Spirit, man. That was the Spirit of God. <laughs> I got us off track there. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when David was given approval to fight Goliath, Saul wants him to put on all this armor. David says, this isn't, I don't feel comfortable. This isn't me. Takes it off, grabs the stones. He's got a sling. Comes out to Goliath who's laughing, who's making fun of him. And what does David say? Chapter 17, verse 45. You may come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's a guy who knew what he was... He, did, he had all the armor he needed because he was going in the spirit and the power of God. So why in the world would we try to do... You know, we're trying to put on this armor and it might look good, but... It's not really us. That's not really what Jesus wanted. You can come to the enemy with all the armor you want. It means nothing. The sons of Sceva in Acts, uh, I always get it mixed up, 19, somewhere in the latter part of Acts, they see, they see what Paul's doing. They come to this demon-possessed man. They say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. What's the demon do? Looks at it and says, uh, Jesus I know, yeah, I don't like that guy. He scares me. Paul I know, I don't like him either because he converted and now he's a, not Jesus using him. But who are you? They were coming with a bunch of armor, but they weren't clothed in Christ. And if you try to battle these spiritual battles with your goodness, with your ideas, with your strength, you're gonna look, he's going to look at you the same way. Say, like, who are you? Do you think this scares me? But when you come in Jesus, when you come clothed in Christ, what's James say? Submit to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. And the enemy must flee. He must flee. The Bible says, you believe in God, good. So do the demons. And what do they do? They shudder. They tremble. When you come clothed in Christ, that spiritual battle all of a sudden turns in your favor in a big way. Because you're not coming with sword or spear or javelin. You're coming in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God. The God of his people. We're going to close it, close it out here. I'm going to turn to Romans. You don't have to. I'm just going to read a few verses. It's Romans chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 8. <clears throat> Also, the the Apostle Paul here, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding 
except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be. This is Paul. He's a Pharisee. So he's just passing over a lot of these commandments. Saying, oh, whatever's out there. They're all summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We hear about the desires of the sinful nature and we think, you know, well, yeah, sexual morality and all these things. But the desire of the sinful nature is also to be strong for myself. I can do this. The sinful nature says, I can do this. The spirit says, no, you can't. I can't. Don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature that says, I've got to be strong. I've got to do this. I've got to look this way. I've got to handle this. No. What's Paul saying in Corinthians? He says, in my weakness, he is strong. God tells him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. The only way to combat the works mindset which we've we've said is a constant reminder that we're not good enough, is to clothe yourself in Jesus, to commune with him daily. The word, prayer, communion, worship, Christian fellowship, whatever it is, daily you need to be communing with God because because then you have a constant reminder that he is good enough and you don't need to be. And then your mindset is completely different when you face these these different situations. Paul says here, let no debt remain except love. The only thing that you owe is to love others in the name of Jesus. That's all. He's taking care of everything else. He narrowed it down to say, just love. I'll take care of everything else. You love people. The debt for sin and for breaking the law has been paid in full. All that is owed is love. And Paul goes on to say, love is the fulfillment of the law. So put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ. Don't think about the flesh. Don't do it in your flesh. Put on the armor of light. Philippians 4.8, and I'm closing with this scripture. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4 and verse 8. But if you go through that that list again, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, Jesus is the only one that fits every one of those. So when he says think about such things, what's he saying? Think about Jesus. He is the truth. He is the only one that's noble. He is the only one that's pure. He is the only one that is righteous. He is lovely. He is admirable. But because he is, you are. Because of the I am, I am. I am what I am 
because of the I am. Well, I don't have the scratchy voice today. <clears throat> I am what I am, and that's all that I am. How's that? <clears throat> Only Jesus fits all of these, so we need to set our minds upon Christ and give thanks daily for his sacrifice. That's one of the reasons that we're moving to a point where we're doing communion every single week. Right now we do it every other week, and that's mainly just logistical you know, getting all the stuff in and having it all ready. But every day, and I know Nyla shared last Sunday night in her daily times that she takes communion every day with the Lord. There are other people that do that. But you need daily communion with the Lord, not because you need to check it off your list, but because then you have a constant reminder of his sacrifice, a constant reminder of your forgiveness, of your standing with God, instead of a constant reminder that you're not good enough. Too many people live with that. They live with a constant reminder that they're not good enough. Only Jesus tells us, you don't need to be. I am. He has set you free once and for all. Once and for all. Would you close your eyes for a moment, please? A couple questions as we close here. Number one, you're always going to hear me offer this, but if there's anyone in here that hasn't made Jesus their Lord and Savior, has not received that sacrifice that we just talked about, that was once and for all time is good for all sin. If you haven't received that and you want to do that today, would you raise a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I've never made that decision. I've held off. i got to do it today. The second question I would ask, how many of you would say, you know, Pastor, that all of this makes sense? But for some reason, I still find my mind going back to all the ways that I'm not good enough, that I can't do this. Would you pray that the Lord would renew my mind? Would you pray that the Lord would show me on a regular basis? Would you pray that I would be prompted every day to spend that daily time with God so that I can be constantly reminded of his sacrifice and constantly reminded of my forgiveness and my standing instead of the constant reminder that I'm not good enough? How many, how many of you would raise a hand and say, I need prayer for that? Because I understand it in my mind, but I can't always get it into my heart. I'm with you, okay? I'm there with you too. Several hands. This Thanksgiving and every day, give thanks to him in all you do, even in the midst of chaos. Because one thing will always be true, that Jesus died for you, and that you are holy and righteous and acceptable to God because of that. No matter what goes on in your life, no matter what mistakes you make, that will never change. Never change. Colossians 3.17, Paul writes to them and says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, no matter what's going on, you can always be thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus and what it has accomplished in your life and in every life this world has ever known. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. It was good once and for all time. Let me pray, especially with those of you that raise your hands. Father, you saw the hands that went up. So many believers, not just in this church, but just Christians all over the world. I think especially in our country, God, we... 
we, you know, we've been raised that you earn, you earn your way. And, and Lord, there's nothing wrong with, there's certainly an aspect where, you know, you work hard and, and, and you're going to, you're going to get the fruits of that. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, Lord, because the battles we face are not battles of flesh and blood, they're battles of the spirit. Your kingdom is upside down, Lord. You already paid the price for us. You put in the effort. You died. You did what we could never do. God, we can try to be as good as we want, and it's never going to be enough. And you did what you did to say you don't have to be. You're already good enough because you are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. You have, you are a co-heir with Christ. You are just as my, just as if you were my firstborn. You are equal to my only begotten son because I made it that way. I sent him. He died on the cross for your sins. He was perfect so you are no longer under bondage. Death no longer has a hold of you. One day, when your life on this earth ends, you will rise again because of his sacrifice because it is good it was only needed once, and it is good for all time, for all sins, for all people. Lord, work in the hearts and the minds of your people. Remind them daily, Lord, as they spend their time with you. Remind them daily of your forgiveness. Remind us daily of your forgiveness. Remind us daily of our standing with you. That it's not about what we do, and it never has been. It's always Everything is always pointed to Jesus. Lord, you have said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So this Thanksgiving season and every day, Lord, may we be thankful for your sacrifice that has forever set us on a path to you. We eagerly await that day, but Lord, we rest assured in the peace and the knowledge that you have already made us perfect, even though we're still being made holy. You have made us perfect. You have made us righteous because you have covered us in the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for all you are and all you've done. We give you glory, honor, praise, and thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.